First Palm Media. You are listening to Mushing on First Palm Media. Visit our website at mushing.com. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing. And I am joined today by Julia Deloach. She is calling in from Trapper Creek, Alaska. Julia, how's it going today? It's going really good. It is a little rainy outside, so it's a good day for an interview. It is a good day for an interview. It's been a crazy winter up here. I know you live about, I don't know, 50 miles or so north of me, but my goodness, we got a bunch of snow, then it got really cold, and then we got a little bit of a melt, and now here it is raining right here towards the end of February. It's been a crazy winter, hasn't it? It has. I was actually up at the Yukon Quest 80 a couple of weeks ago, and it was so cold. Um, it was about 50 below. And, you know, if you add in that you're running 10 miles an hour, that's some pretty cold mushing. That is. And I know a lot of people ended up pulling out of that race in all of the classes. Is that right? That is true. Um, and some one person at least dropped down from the 200 to the 80. And I think that's really cool that people... Um, thought about what they were doing. But finally, by the day we took off, we took off in the afternoon. It had warmed up a little bit. I'm glad I wasn't in the 200, though. Oh, I know it. And I want to ask you a question about that just coming up. That would be my first question to you. But before we do that, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you're all about, please? Sure. I am uh, Julia Deloach. I live in Trapper Creek, as you know. Um, I've done a lot of different things with dogs. I've been mushing for almost 30 years. I started in 97 with a rescue dog. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend going out and buying the best dog from the sport that you want to do, like mid-distance, if that's what you want. But we learned a lot from that first dog, and it really took us a long time to get into the groove and get into Alaskans. We started with Malamute. And we eventually got into Alaskans and moved to Alaska from Cascade, Idaho. We kind of outgrew our roots, uh, got up here, and the kids were of the right age to run the Junior Iditarod. And I was running some of those old mid-distance races like the Don Bowers, and we ran the Knick and the Sheep Mountain 150, me and the kids, and the Gnome Sign. We had a lot of fun. Um, and then something came up that really suited me and that was the uh the ceremony 2020 so that was where i wanted to be it's what i want to do in my future too so that's kind of who i am you know i'm a mushing mom but also musher at heart and i continued after the kids grew up yeah and i have a bunch of questions about a lot of the things that that you just talked about but before we do we were talking a little bit about that yukon quest a couple of weeks ago and just how cold it was. And I know you live in an interesting spot that sees all sorts of weather there, a lot of snow typically, and it is a very cold spot, if you will, here in South Central Alaska. But since you've been doing this for about 30 years, what do you think is that optimal temperature to run a team of sled dogs? Not necessarily a race, but just to go out there and do your thing. Because I know for a fact it's different for sled dogs than it is people. Because I bet those dogs in the Yukon Quest would have been okay. But it's typically the musher who's the weakest link. Is that right? Well, I was getting kind of cold. Um, the dogs seemed to do well, but they did bed down right away when they got a chance. 
So I do think dogs like to run in below zero and I'm very comfortable too because I bought really good gear. Um, I learned a lot on the Serum Run. We were in cold weather for 19 days. So I really had to learn how to take care of myself. A lot of it has to do with your what you eat and how well you move, but you do have to have good gear on. But I would say negative 10 to negative 20 is where I feel like the dogs are optimally performing. If yeah. that answers your question. Yep, I agree with you. I teach our college students that exact same thing, that that's sort of that sweet spot for a dog team is about 10 above to about 10 below is that that real optimal time to just really crank down the miles on a trail for sure. So living in Trapper Creek, Alaska, Julia, is that is that a... Um, is that an interesting place to live for a dog musher? Because you're a heck of a ways from the next biggest town, which is Wasilla, where, you know, the grocery store is and the auto parts store and all of that stuff. It's quite a haul to get from one place to another, isn't it? It is, but we actually have a small auto parts store and a small grocery store. But you're right. Like, if I want to go to Underdog, it's quite a haul. I have to make it happen. Um, it's fun to live out here. It's kind of a mushing mecca of the 80s and 90s. A lot of champions lived out this way. Uh, <clears throat> I think there's unbelievable opportunity because we can hook in with the trails if I knew how and if the trail was in to get to Willow or to Squint and you know, you can go a lot of places from there. Um, I think when Joe May lived on Oil Well and when Rick Mackey lived on Oil Well, they were both very successful training their dogs out there. We have good snow and we have uh, access to rivers. So, you know, the rivers are the highways of the north. They are for sure. And like you said, you could literally go to the end of the world from uh, your place there, whether it be Nome or whatever. Are you on an off-grid homestead up there or do you have all the bells and whistles? No, we are off-grid. And I think that makes me a lot more comfortable with the dogs. Um, we don't have modern conveniences. We do have a, a well, so we can pump water when we have a generator that works. Sometimes we don't, but we, uh, the dogs are our lifestyle. You know, it, it focuses around them and around the wood stove, really. And you had mentioned so. that when you moved up from Idaho that uh, your kids and everybody were involved. You, you said that you were a musher mom. Who takes part in the daily activities today? It's mostly me. I do have a partner of 12 years, my boyfriend, Mike. Um, he keeps reminding me he's not a musher, but, you know, because he lives there with me. And like I said, the dogs are the focus of our life. He does help a lot. And but it's mainly me. I go out and run by myself. Um, there is another musher on my road named Cheryl. She's been putting in some trails. So I really appreciate that. But we never see each other out there. Yeah, we can be few and far between. Obviously, that's what a lot of uh, attractiveness is to dog mushing as we get out there and, and do our thing. And, and we don't have to deal with uh, the human side of things as often as, as uh, a lot of other people do as well. Uh, Julia, you mentioned that you've done some early races early on. I've, I've run some of those races myself back in the day when I moved up here. I ran the Don Bowers once and, of course, the Connick. Uh, 200 and, and all of those other races. What is your favorite race? I know you've done a bunch of races in your career. What's your favorite? Uh, the Goose Bay 150 is my favorite, although it's been pretty hard on me. This year, my sled completely broke the whole plastic bed out of, but that wasn't the race's fault. It just, we carry all of our own gear on that race. It's 150 miles. It's two days, of course. 
and you have your sled loaded down and it just seems that I always end up breaking something on that race three years in a row I broke something and it's not the race's fault like I said but it is the uh it's just the time of year it happens just like last week and the dogs are in prime condition and we're carrying heavy loads and the the trail is not um flat there's a lot of little hills and moguls if you will and things that you can uh, bump up against trees and tree stumps and things so it, it is a technical trail and you're loaded down so if you could put all that together with primed up dogs you know there's a lot of room for breakage but it's my favorite you know I've, I've ran that race I believe a couple of times it's been several years since I've done that but when we ran it you started there at the at the bar and had to go across the street before you got onto the trail, pretty much right out of the chute. Is that still how it is today, or do they start you on the other side of the road there? Oh no, we're we're crossing that street right away, and then a uh, ninety degree to the left, and then you're going through some wooded area um, where you're really hugging the trees, and of course the dogs are pretty hot to trot right then. Um, so. It's a it's a fast, exhilarating start for sure. And then you drop down onto the Iditarod Trail, and you know that's got some hills on it. It, it does, and and, so, and, and that'll really yeah. wake you up right there at the start, where you're. Uh, for for folks that aren't mushers, anytime that you're running across a road, and this is a decent sized road. This is it's not necessarily yeah. a highway, Nick's but <laughs> it, it is it's a big one. So if you if you're thinking about a, a heavily traveled road, this is it. Now, of course, they have. They have um, uh, uh, crossing guards, if you will, to get yourself across. But you leave the parking lot and you have to cross over a street to get onto the trail. And like you said, that hard left turn, uh, I've seen quite a few people crash there uh, just from that. I mean, your race could literally be over in just a couple of minutes. How far did you get down on the trail before you had uh, your, your accident with your sled where the, where the bed broke? Uh, 23 miles. Oh, so a good distance my, anyway. Yeah, my dogs were really in good shape too. I was thinking, I was allowing myself to think this is my race. You know, it's mine to lose, um, at least be in the top three. I just, everything was clicking along for me. And then, uh, you know, as fate would have it, um, I hit a mogul just a little too hard, I guess, and must have cracked the bed. So Goose Bay 150 is your favorite. Uh, which one do you think... The, uh, out of the ones you've you've mentioned, a lot of them are not around anymore. In particular, uh, that sheep uh, sheep creek or, or uh, uh, the um, Don Bowers is no longer around. Which race have you done that you wish, for whatever reason, that they would try to bring back one day? Oh, that's a really good question. The Willow Three Hundred. Um, I suggested they bring it back up near the Don Bowers trails because we have really good trails in Trapper Creek. And, up, you know, if you run from Willow up this way, there's a lot of territory. You can you can find some really good places to run. So the Willow 300, I would like to see that go again. Because I'll tell you, some of those trails were just jaw-dropping beautiful. Some of the best things I've ever done. And it's my neighborhood. But when you're running it as a race, it has a different feel. Yeah, you're right. They, that is that is an area less traveled by a lot of teams, except for folks like you who, who live up that way. A lot of us don't get a chance to explore a lot of those trails up there as well. So expeditions are also uh, in your in your wheelhouse with the Serum Run 2020. I know you and I met on that trip. 
Uh, but you and I met before, I, I was trying to think before we recorded, was our first time meeting where you and I met in the parking lot to pick up a, a dog or two from our mutual friend, Brenda Mackey? It probably was. I started out when I started the second time after my kids grew up, we had a house fire. Um, so we got out of mushing. We had recreational dogs at that point for about eight years. And when I started back into dogs was about the time you and I were both getting dogs from Brenda. And I think we, we helped transport dogs back and forth a few times. I don't I think know. you brought me one of my best dogs. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but yeah, I agree. I, I think that she produces a miraculous uh, set of, of dogs. And, and I was thinking back uh, again, thinking about this episode, I think about half of our kennel right now is somehow related to her line of dogs. She does have some pretty good dogs, doesn't she? Yeah, I think about 90% of my dogs are from Brenda Mackey lines. I started breeding my own a few years ago. I bred to one of Nick Petit's dogs um, named Curtis, and then I bred to Bison from Ramey Reddington. So I've got like a, a pretty nice set of dogs at home that I'm developing and you said in our pre-interview that you have 40 dogs. And of course, some of those are puppies and retired dogs. We had mentioned where they come from, but what are, what's the general age? What's that sort of average age of your dogs right now? Okay. The, the ones that are getting up in age are turning eight this spring. And then I've got, you know, every, every age on down to puppies. Um, there are no gaps. It seems like we had either bought or had a litter every year of a few dogs. And so anywhere from one to eight, I guess. That's a, that's a perfect uh, time, folks that are listening, for, uh, for the type of mushing that Julia does, these uh, mid-distance type races as well as, as expeditions. And we're going to talk about what's upcoming here in a little bit. But we talked about where the dogs come from and the lines that they come from. Can you share a story or two about one of your favorite dogs? And I know that's a very difficult thing to ask because they're all of our favorites. We could probably sit here for hours <laughs> and talk about all of our favorite dogs. But tell us a story or two about one of yours. Okay, there is this dog named Zombie that I got from Brenda. When I first started mushing again, I, ha I had some young dogs and I needed a couple of veterans to help me out. And we were on a race that I believe Ryan Reddington had one year. It was called the Alaska X. And we dropped down pretty close out of, you know, the Iditarod Trail there. And you had to go across the road and pop back up on the berm on the other side. And my dogs went to the left. And then they went to the right. And they passed the trail about three times before this dog, Zombie, who was a veteran from Brenda's, um, she literally pushed the leaders onto the trail with her body. She like barreled them right up onto the trail. And it was the funniest thing to see because she knew the trail was there the whole time. And the other dogs just didn't have the experience to, you know, to be trail savvy yet. So just to see a swing dog, I think she was probably six or seven at the time, force those two young leaders up onto the trail. It was just hilarious. And uh, I'll never forget that your veteran dogs are really your right hand like there's no no way I would go out on the trail without a good veteran dog with me so that was one funny story another one is um my dog Scarlett who's my best leader I got her at six weeks old she's actually a Zorro granddaughter 
Um, I don't know if that makes her what she is, but it's kind of cool that she's that. Um, I brought her in a tent on the Yukon on the Serum Run because it was very cold. And uh, when we were all, you know, planning for this trip, people were bringing tents. And I said, well, I don't have an Arctic oven tent. And they're, oh, we have plenty of tents. I'm like, okay. Well, the tent that I um, kind of was assigned to didn't have a stovepipe. So I don't know if you know how cold it was that night. I mean, you were there. I, I know our thermometers bottomed out at 40 below, and we know it got colder than that. So here I am in this tent with no stovepipe. And Suze, Susan, Susanna Tominelli said, well, let's get a dog and bring a dog in here with us. So she went and got her dog, and I went and got my dog, Scarlett. And I tried to put her in the sleeping bag. She's a flat-coated dog, so I was a little worried about her, and she's my leader. Um, so she's real important to me, but she wouldn't stay in the bag. She just, she just forced her way out. So I ended up giving her some of my blankets and some of my extra gear to keep her warm because she wouldn't stay in the bag. So I ended up being colder than I would have been had I not brought her in, but it was kind of funny that the way that turned out, but we did wake up in the morning. So, you know, we didn't freeze to death, but it was awfully cold. It was. Do you remember that night? Oh yeah. It was awfully cold. We were dealing with a lot of overflow. Everything was happening that night for sure. But if we could go back that to, was, yeah, it, it was, it was cold. That if was we, a life changing night, wasn't it? It, it, it sure was. Uh, if we could go back to zombie, you had mentioned that uh, having those dogs as your right hand is so important. And I, and I, I agree with you a hundred percent. People ask me all the time, how do you train your dogs to do this? You know, new mushers are asking that. And I often say, typically it's the dogs teaching the dogs what to do, whether it be, you know, a co-leader or, or as you mentioned with, with your dog, they're the ones that are, that are really given the lessons. Isn't that true? Oh, it is. I mean, I can't teach the team as well as a veteran dog can teach them. They have an, uh, I guess an unspoken language that, they pick things up from each other way better than, you know, we could comprehend how to train. So having some veterans on your team, especially a really veteran leader or swing zombie was a swing dog. Right. I mean, it's, it's just the best thing you can do for yourself. So let's switch gears just a little bit, Julia. I know that uh, you're a, a working musher and what that means to, to folks that are listening is you have, you have a job that you have to work every day. You, you're not like some mushers that, you know, work in the off season at, as a fisherman or a contractor or something like that. How do you juggle that uh, with, with training and all that you have to do uh, living off grid and all that? I'm sure that, uh, that your time is stretched pretty thin. Is that right? It is stretched pretty thin. I am away from home about 50 hours a week um, with a full-time job and then a, a two-hour-a-day commute. Um, but it is necessary for me to work it, to afford these dogs. So, you know, I try to make the most of it. Um, I get home, and because I work with special needs children, I'm a special education assistant. Um, sometimes I need a minute to regroup. You know, it's a completely different part of my brain in one way that I use um, at work than it is with the dogs. But in another way, there's very much the same uh, as far as being in the moment with those dogs or being in the moment with those kids. I just feel like I do my best work with the dogs in the evening, like after dark. Um, it allows me to kind of let it all go. The only thing you see is what's right in front of you in the headlamp. And I really 
I think I really tune into my dogs that way much more than if I was getting up at 10 a.m. and, you know, going for a midday run. I really like running at night and I sometimes only get five or six hours of night sleep, which isn't ideal, but it's worth it. It's worth it to me to be able to get out and train those dogs. It is. And, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I think uh, the best uh, mushing is at night and you truly are out there with, with your dogs and your, your thoughts and being able to, to really decompress, if you will, to be able to spend that time with them at that time. And there's not as much traffic. I know that there's not much traffic up where you're at, but uh, you don't have to deal with a lot of no. snow machines and other mushers and cross-country skiers and everything if you're out there at midnight compared to 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can run up the road if I wait late enough, and if there is a, a stray car, I can see their lights coming a long ways off. So it's actually safer yeah. as well as more enjoyable. It, and it, you get to see the northern lights and the stars and all that really neat stuff. Oh yeah. And it, it is safer. And I know that there's been a couple of tragedies this year because of uh, all of that traffic out here on the trails here in Alaska, not necessarily where you and I are at, but uh, much further North uh, there on the Denali highway. So Julia, before we run out of time, I have two questions that I typically ask all of my guests. Uh, would you mind if I ask you those? Oh, please. Okay, so the first question is, is where do you see the sport of dog mushing in any capacity, whether it be Iditarod or recreational or whatever, where do you see it in the next five to 10 years? Well, I'm really excited about the robust junior mushing uh, scene that's happening right now. I spent the Yukon Quest weekend with Arian Sanderson. Her family gave me a ride up to, to the Yukon Quest race. And she is a real go-getter, as is Addie Ann and her little brother and both um, Emily and her brother. I think we're going to have a real rocking time coming up in the next five or ten years. I think those kids are just going to get better and better. Plus, there's a lot of young 20-something-year-old people like Jesse Michelle and Hunter Keefe. Um, they're really good, and they're in it for the long haul. So I think we're going to have... I don't know what you call it, maybe just a revitalization of our mushing. I think I see a lot of really good positive things coming our way. Yep, I agree. And, and, and man, those, those juniors, they really are blazing trails, not only in the junior races like the Willow Junior 100 and the Junior Iditarod that's coming up very soon, but also in some of these uh, prototypical adult races when you think about uh, Emily Robinson and what she's doing. My goodness. And, and like you said, the, the younger generation uh, uh, of mushers coming up, and I did a rod in particular, uh, I think it truly is that sort of changing of the guard. I know we talk a lot about that on our Iditarod coverage that we do, but man, I think it's going to be a good decade or so for at least the racing scene. And of course, everything else that happens is typically under the radar. Right. And I think that expeditions like the one that you and I went on, um, I think that those should become a thing too. I would really like to see more expeditions, but that's, that's from my personal preference of what I enjoy doing. Racing is fun, but boy, if you can get out there for a week or, you know, two weeks or three weeks and just spend all that time on the trail, it's, uh, <laughs> for me, it's a dream come true. And it, I'd like to do more of that. It is. And that leads into my, my last question is, is what does the future look like for you and your dogs? What do you have plans? 
Well, I've always wanted to do the 440. So I, I hope that at some point I can go do that. I'm working this summer. It looks like I'm working up in Skagway with my own team, which has been a, a dream of mine. I've worked for Dallas CV for the last two summers doing tours, but my dogs were always on a different tour site than myself. And so I'm hoping to pull it together where me and my dogs can be together all summer and then uh, bank some money and maybe get to do the 440. That would be, or, or another expedition, something really long. That's where I'm looking. So if we could backtrack with that for just a second before we close, uh, working in Skagway for folks that are listening, what does that mean for you and your dogs? What kind of uh, situation is that? Well, it's giving rides to people who come off the cruise ships. So we, we talk about mushing. And in, in the case with Dallas's um, AK sled dogs, people come from all over the world, literally. And they, they hear about Alaska. They hear about sled dogs. And they want a little taste of what it's like to be um, around these fine athletes. And they talk to us about our experience. They're, they have a lot of good questions about, you know, what's it like? what do you do out there on the trail? And, and we get to tell them all of our, our experiences and we really enjoy sharing that. And it's good for the sport. People leave the tourists going, wow, that was really cool. So it's good for the sport. It's good for us um, getting to share that passion. So that's what it's like. Uh, Skagway is a town in Southeast Alaska where they have a, a big tourism uh, center and, there's a lot of dog tours um, up in Juneau as well. So some of my dogs will be going up on a glacier in Juneau, and some will be with me in Skagway. Yeah, and some of those people that have taken those tours back in the day, they ended up uh, really catching the bug, and some of them have done Iditarod and other type things. It's, it's sometimes an entry point for uh, up-and-coming <laughs> mushers, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Some, especially the young people, like the kids on the tours are like, I want to be a dog musher when I grow up more like come back, you know, <laughs> come back and, and work with us when you get a little older. And I think that some of them actually do. Of course. You know, Hunter Keith, his uncle went on a tour with Nick Petit in Girdwood and then um, made that connection for Hunter and Nick. He was the kind of the go between. And then, you know, the rest is pretty much history around here anyway. I remember talking to him about that when he was on our show. I think he was on our show right after I did a rod last year. A very interesting story for sure. So, Julia, where are you most active on social media? Is it Facebook, Instagram, where? It's just Facebook, and it's just my name. I don't have a kennel page. Um, I'm too busy with my off-grid lifestyle and dogs and <laughs> working to actually set up a, a decent website. But you can sure catch me on Facebook. And we will definitely put a link to your page in the show notes. And uh, folks can reach out and connect with you or ask questions or whatever. Julia Deloach is our guest today here on Mushing. Julia, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll keep in touch, okay? Thanks, Robert. Thank you. On behalf of my guest today, this is Robert for Mushing. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. 
Nobody covers dog sledding like mushing from First Paw Media. Our team of athletes, volunteers, race organizers, and mushers like Robert and Michelle Forto brings you closer to the sport. If it's happening, we are there. Live from the qualifying races in January and February, the Iditarod in March, and in the summer, mushing takes you on the road with our team and trail tour. We connect you with a history of the sport, in-depth interviews with a top mushers, and great storytelling and breaking news all year long. Follow on mushing.com.